Well, I'd like to begin by looking at the sermon today. It's the finishing the race well. The Greeks had a race in their Olympic Games that was unique. The winner was not the runner who finished first. It was the runner who finished his tor- finished with his torch still lit. My friends, we are on a journey. But there will be an end here on earth. How are you to run this race, and how are we to finish it well? The Bible clearly says in Hebrews 9, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We all know that in the back of the mind, of our minds, that 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 day will come. But the question is, are we running with our torch still lit? Are we putting Christ First in our lives, will we be able to die completely satisfied? And did we run this race fixing our eyes on Jesus all the way home? In Genesis chapter 25 and verse 8 says, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Abraham died satisfied. A man who didn't regret what he did when he put his trust in God back in Genesis 12. He didn't die with bitterness, but died in faith. In Hebrews 11.13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Think of it. From the age of 75 to 175 years, he never returned to his homeland. He was a foreigner, a man who lived in a tent on a land that was promised by God for him and his descendants. By faith, he trusted in God, even though he was a sojourner. He never regretted his decision to follow God. You know, as as a pastor, I have been beside a bedside of many who are close to death. In all those times of experiences of meeting people, the people that have Christ as the center of their lives, They have the joy of seeing their Savior and Lord. I have never really heard words of regret, but joy of seeing Jesus and all their loved ones in glory. Wouldn't you want to end your journey well? Wouldn't you want to end with joy and and peace in your heart? Wouldn't you want to be like Abraham with complete peace in this broken world? Now what can we learn from the life of Abraham and when we meet our end? And how can we live a life that is, glorif- that is good in the sight of God? Now, I have been given three chapters, and so I'm going to take portions here and there, but I want us to start off with chapter 23 of Genesis. So if you could open your Bibles to Genesis 23. Let me read to you. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died at Kariath Arabah, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for, bearing, for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will withhold them from you, his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. 
And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephraim, the son of Zahor, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of the field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for burying place. Now Ephraim was sitting among the Hittites, and and Ephraim the Hittite answered, Abraham, in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of the city, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron and Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that is in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a bearing place by the Hittites. Many of us have gone through a loss of a loved one. And the grief process takes time. Here in Canada, we're told that you could take a week off or so and, and then get back to normal life. But in reality, that is not the truth. It is a difficult time to go through grief. But in the Old Testament, we see that grieving took many days. In, for instance, in, in Genesis 15:3, it says 40 days were required for embalming. And the Egyptians whipped for him 70 days. And that is Jacob. In Genesis 23:2b. Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Grieving took time. He was with Sarah for a long time. And together they saw great things of God. They had their triumphs as well as the periods of sadness. Sarah was barren by God's grace. She had a child at the age of 90 years old. There were laughter and joy in their home. There was also ugliness of life of Sarah relationship with Hagar and Ishmael, and they were cast out. She also saw her son and her husband walking away to a land of Morai by the command of God to sacrifice a son. We don't know if she understood all of that, but perhaps she sensed it within her heart. In all of those moments, Sarah trusted God, and Sarah is the only woman in the Bible that mentions her age, the time that she died. I could imagine Abraham putting on one hand on the casket and raising his hands towards God, saying, thank you, Father, for a wonderful wife in all those years together. Now, Abraham was thinking about running this race, and he was thinking about running it well. So first in our point, we need to remember that we are all running this race. As believers, we want to finish our journey well, and we must remember this, and that is we're passing through. The Bible says that Abraham was a sojourner and a foreigner. He was just passing through. 
It was a difficult time in his life as he saw his wife die, and yet God prepared Abraham's heart when he was commanded to sacrifice his son Isaac in Genesis 22. That test, I believe, that Abraham went through of giving and believing that his son will rise from the dead again. And so in Hebrews eleven nineteen said, he considered that God was able to even to raise him from the dead. So I think down deep in Abraham's heart, he knew that he will see Sarah again. He wept with hope. And he knew and he trusted in God. So as we look at chapter 23, we notice that only two verses are dedicated to Sarah, and the rest of it is talking about the purchase of the land. Isn't it interesting to note that Abraham purchased land after the death of Sarah? Notice that Abraham received a great promise from God that this land will be given to him and his inheritance. And yet, no matter how wealthy, Abraham didn't own a piece of land. He was in a land where he knew their culture, he knew their religion, he knew their customs, yet will never be landowner till that very moment, that last moment of his life. There was no thought of taking Sarah back home, his hometown to where he was from, because by faith he believed that God provided him that land. In Genesis 15 and 18 and 21, is something that God promised him. And it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephraim, and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. He said by faith as he looked around, that this is where God called him to be. And so if my wife is going to be buried here, one day I too will be buried here. And so he purchased the land. Abram knew that this will be all his, and yet he purchased a piece of land from the people that lived on that land, which God was going to give to him in the future and his descendants. And yet we don't see bitterness. That he was a sojourner and a foreigner. But he lived a godly life amongst the Hittites. The Hittites spoke of Abraham as the prince of God in verse 5. Why would they call him the prince of God? They saw him built an altar, I'm sure. They saw him worship. But his community of people, as like this in this church area, came to worship God, the living God. And they witnessed the blessing of God in Abraham's life. No wonder they looked at him and said, you're the prince of God. I'm wondering if people look at us in our community, the places that we work, do they look at us the same way? Now what do I see in Abraham? He never owned land, never overpowered the people, nor did he preach that their ways were coming to an end. Rather, he showed kindness and love. In 1 Peter 2 The Apostle Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Believers in Christ 
We are not to think that to be a Christian is to hold some kind of insurance policy. Some of us come to church thinking that if I was a Christian, just being a Christian and living the way I am, that at least I won't go to hell. But that's not a Christian life. A Christian life is saying I'm going to go away from my own life, this life of sin, and to follow Christ. No turning back, no turning back. We are to live our lives as witnesses for Christ. That is what the first century believers did. Everything was for Christ. In every way, they knew that living for Christ is the only way, and that's the Christ-centeredness of their lives. In every way, they knew that Abraham was a man who walked with God to our neighbors, to our friends, our co-workers, Do they know that we are believers in Christ? The Bible says we are not to do the things that are evil in the sight of God, but we are to love them and care for them by sharing the love of Christ. The Bible says we are to be the light and the salt of the earth. And Abraham was reminded over and over again during his journey the promise of God. And that is why he didn't return to his homeland to bury his wife. He remembered that God often reiterated to Abraham, that he brought him to this place, and that gave him confidence to continue. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, I'm sure he keeps recalling that time, the moment he met God. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, And him who dishonors, you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. With those encouraging words, Abraham kept walking with God. And the people around him could see that he was a prince of God. Today we participated in the Lord's table. We have it once a month to remind us of his great love. That Jesus died for us, took our sins away, that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. It also reminds us to, to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, to encourage each other in our journey, to continually fix our eyes on him. So as we look at the conversation between Abraham and the Hittites, we see such formality, we see such kindness, that we want to praise them for their hospitality. They're doing such a good thing by giving the land to Abraham. But I think that we also need to see their culture and their hearts and what they're saying. Look at verse 6. It says, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will withhold you from your tomb, his tomb, to hinder you from burying your dead. Now, why didn't Abraham just take it for free? For one, I believe that the family could take it back again. If Ephron died, the family could actually go back and say, you know what, this land was not really yours, it's really ours. And so that Abraham had to return it. It's almost like when you loan a car and you, the person who's driving it has to return the car back again. So Abraham asked for a price for his permanent use of a burial ground. And here we see that Abraham asked for 
Ephron's cave. Ephron wanted to, to loan not just the cave, but the land as well. He wanted to, to give it to Abraham. And he was almost saying like this, you know, we are so rich that we need not worry about the price. You just go ahead and bury Sarah. Now, in our Western culture, it would be hard for us to understand that. And I mean, we would probably say, well, thank you for the offer. Wow, what nice and polite people you are. But sometimes we need to understand the culture, don't we? Now, I've been raised in Japan and, you know, living in Japan, I know that when you offer something to somebody, you've got to ask at least three times. Here in Canada, you would ask one time and then they, if they say no, then that's it. The conversation ended. I remember years back when I was invited, I was just a, a young father at the time, and I was invited to dinner from a Japanese man who just happened to come and visit Vancouver. Uh, we worked together in a Japanese church, and uh, he said, I'm here with my wife. I'd like to have, see you guys. Why don't you come on over and let's have dinner together? Well, it was a great Japanese restaurant, the best in, in the whole of Vancouver, you know. The sushi was great. And uh, we were just enjoying it. But I was thinking while we're having this meal, I hope I don't have to pay for this. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is going to be expensive. Now, you know, in, when the bill came out, uh, it's natural tendency for us to kind of offer and say, let me pay for the bill, even though we really don't want to pay the bill, right? <laughs> and so I was sitting there and the bill came out. And so I have to be polite and courteous. And I said, oh, Mr. Kato, you know, uh, let me pay for this. And I was waiting for him to say, no, no, no. And... Uh, Sure enough, he said, yeah, no, no, no. You know, I'm the one who invited you and your wife. And so let me pay for it. Well, that was just round one, so let's go for another two. So I said, well, no, no, no. You know, you came all the way from Japan. You know, at least let me pay for this to bless you too. And I was waiting for him to say no, no, but all of a sudden there was silence. (laughs) He was looking at me. And then he looked at his wife, and I think he realized, hey, wait a minute, I'm not in Japan, I'm in Canada. (laughs) And he said to his wife, let's get Walter to pay for the meal tonight. (laughs) I was trying to smile, but it was a painful smile. (laughs) Even among the politeness, we need to read between the lines, don't we? Notice the conversation between Ephron and Abraham. Abraham wanted Ephron's cave, but as we look in verse 11, he wanted to give the land as well. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you, bury your dead. But Abraham got up and bowed and then insisted that he buy it. He says, what is the price? Look at verse 15. My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Now, how much is 400 shekels? We are told that the Israelites' desert census, if they had to pay that, was uh, a half a shekel in Exodus 30, 13. A compensation for a slave killed by an ox is 30 shekels in Exodus 21, 32. The value of a person is between 5 to 50 Shekels in Leviticus 27. And Jeremiah bought land during, in his time, in Jeremiah 32, 9, was 17 shekels. So could the price be too much? Even if Ephron did overcharge Abraham, the price paid suggests Sarah's burial ground was quite considerable. 
The land faced Mamre was a place of great joy in the life of Sarah and Abraham, where they received news of these three men who brought good news. You remember that story. It was a place they looked forward to God's promises. And Abraham was passing through with great faith in the future. In Hebrews 11, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they were seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. My friends, do you feel at times that this city that you live in just doesn't feel right? I mean, Abraham was asking for a cave to bury his wife, but Ephron putting in the field, the cave, and all the trees, and the price was over and above. A land that was promised by God to him and his descendants. And yet, here Abraham had to pay this price. He didn't get up. He didn't negotiate the price down. He didn't say that's not right. But his eyes were on something towards greater things. And that is the future. And that is why he paid the unjust price. As he walked by faith. As he headed for the future. My friends, when we have heaven in mind then the things of this world so, seem so small and so dull. By faith, he trusted in God. And even though things just didn't seem right, even though Abraham didn't know all the facts, he went forward with heaven in mind. Remember that Abraham was a wealthy man. He was blessed by God. But we see that he didn't fix his eyes on the material things of the world, but on heaven. He knew that when he purchased the land, it was starting, he was stating and he was trusting in the Lord for the future. And the Bible says this about the future for us. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor, nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. God wanted us to look at heaven. But secondly, we also need to focus on getting our house in order. Now, if we want to finish our life well, we must get the things in order for his glory and honor. Let's look at chapter 24 and let's continue this story. Verses 1 to 9. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of the household, who had charge of all he had, Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country, to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which he came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, 
then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. If we want to finish life well, we must get our things order in order for the glory of God. Abraham would obey God in all of his commands. Abraham was, loved God. He trusted God. It was never what we say, but what we do. And Abraham was a doer. It was never something that he would set and say, well, let God do it. Now, at this point, we see that Abraham was at the last stage of his life. He was old, the Bible says. He was at his deathbed. And this was the last task that he must do by faith, trusting that God will glorify this. And I know that as we read chapter 25, that it sounds that after Isaac married, that Abraham remarried. But I believe that that already took place. And he was getting his house in order. Now what does it mean to get our house in order? Certainly we prepare our wills. We prepare the place for burial and get our financial uh, things in order. But I think there is much more than that. We need to get our hearts ready. Nothing is better than to look to God's word to give us direction. And how we ought to live. And what we ought to do as we are getting close to the finish line. Psalm 71 and 18 says, So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. And I think getting our house in order is to prepare the good news, is to prepare and to pray and to be a testimony to the next generation. Abraham was concerned for Isaac and the future. A number of years ago, I remember uh, Evelyn Poppy, who's now with the Lord. She was dying of cancer, and she asked for the elders' prayers, anointing. But one of the things I will never forget, she says, I don't want you to pray, anoint me. That's not why I called you. She said, I called you because I want my children to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I want them to. I want to see them in heaven. And I remember how we prayed earnestly that the Lord will do that. I also remember hearing about a Japanese elderly Christian woman who earnestly prayed for her children and grandchildren that they might surrender their lives for Christ. She wrote down their names and left it beside her bedside. She would pray for them. She would ask the congregation to pray for them. And at that bedside, at her bedside was that paper and she prayed earnestly till the Lord Jesus took her home. On her funeral day, as the pastor read and as he preached the gospel, he said, your mother, your grandmother prayed for you. And he read the names one by one. With tears, they all came forward and accepted Christ. See, Jesus answers our prayers. And how important it is for us as we prepare our house, as we prepare to go to heaven, to pray for the next generation. Here we see that Abraham called his most trusted servant. This servant was in charge of all his his affairs. Abraham knew that this man was trustworthy, but notice there is no name given. This servant lived an example of how we ought to live when we face challenging things in life, 
It's almost like God is saying, why don't you put your name in there? How you ought to live your life in times when you face challenges and decision-making in your life. So Abraham talks to him, and he reminds him of what God says, that this land is to been given to him and his descendants. And so he begins to give the servant guidelines on what he ought to do. Notice, first of all, he is not to marry a Canaanite woman. As Abraham was looking around him and he could see that the people were not putting their faith and trust in the living God. And so he says, I do not want you to put your, my son in that situation. Secondly, you will go to Abraham's country and kindred and take a wife from there. And thirdly, the woman from my country must go with you. Do not take Isaac to my country. What a high order. What a, a task that this servant had to do. Now, we need to know that there is nowhere in the Bible that God is saying to Abraham that Isaac needed to be married. We don't see that in Scripture. Nor do we see anywhere that God is saying to Isaac, you shouldn't go back to Abraham's home country. But Abraham knew God's promises, and so when he began to get his house in an order, he began to understand the direction of God's will. And the same with us. We don't have all the things in Scripture, but we know what it means to live a godly life. And God gives us that ability, that decision-making. It is by faith that we go forward. It is wise to get our house in order, for we see God gives order to King Hezekiah with these words in the Old Testament when King Hezekiah was sick and he was close to death. And he said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and you shall not recover. Of course, the Lord God gave him 50 more years of grace But it is wise to get our house in order. Then how did Abraham get his house in order? First, he remembered the promises of God and what he will do. And in verse 7, Abraham said that God of heaven spoke to him that his offspring will receive this land. Abraham remembered the promise that he received from God himself and that he will not go back to his old lifestyle again. That is exactly what we must say as believers. We will not go back after tasting the good things of God, walking with him in this journey. The last part of our journey could be the hardest part in all of your life, the loneliest one that you will go through. And that is why the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 12, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. When that time comes in your life, remember the songs you sang. Remember the verses. Remember what God said to you. Do not forget the love of God. I have visited many in senior homes who wish they could come to church just like you are doing today. And as I read God's word, as I sing with them, as I have communion with them, they begin to have tears. So put your trust in God, second of all. Abraham said that God will send his angel before you. Abraham put his reliance on God. If it is God's will, God will make it happen. He had full trust and full belief that God is going to make it work. And through his journey in life, he saw the sovereignty of God in control. 
The Bible says that through faith, like Abraham, we too are heirs of the promise made to Abraham. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, Galatians 3.29. God is the same yesterday and today and yes forever. He is still working in people's lives. And because Abraham gave godly direction to this unnamed servant, he began to see the work of God. And as he saw the master pray, this, unsense, this servant, unnamed servant began to pray and trust in God and God miraculously answered his prayer. It wasn't a persuasion on his part, but it was a divine calling that Rebecca followed this man. And at the end, the joyous news that this unnamed servant gave to Rebecca was, that's my master that is out there coming to greet you. Abraham's prayer was answered. He saw the goodness of God and with assurance he rested in the Lord. The day will come when we are going to finish the race. And the Bible says that we are gathered to our people. The scripture is clear that there is an eternal state. Abraham finished well. The scripture says that he was gathered to his people. Now that doesn't mean Abraham was gathered gathered meaning that he's going to be beside Sarah. That's not what the Bible is saying. It does not end at the grave. So verse 7 and 8 of chapter 25 says, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Abraham finished well, was gathered to his people. Yet he was buried at the lot where Sarah was buried, But more than that, he was gathered to his people. What people? People like Enoch, like Noah. Abraham went into the presence of the Lord very much alive. Remember in the New Testament, the Sadducees asked Jesus about the resurrection. And Jesus said, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living My friends, Abraham is alive. And all of our loved ones that have gone ahead are alive. They're living. You know, I have looked at my pictorial book, pictures that was taken back in 2001. And seeing all of us at Willingdon Church, the family, there's been a lot of changes over the years. But as I go through that, I see so many have gone ahead. The Bible says, last of all, that we will be fully satisfied. When you finish the race, we will be completely filled with joy. A man full of years, meaning that he was completely satisfied of what God did in his life. There was no desperate clinging of life, but a willingness to let it go. Everything has been attained. In fact, Jesus said this, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham saw Christ through the eyes of faith. And that is, as we look at Genesis 18, we see that there were men that visited, and one of them was Christ. And it was such joy and gladness for Abraham. That joy came when he began to see what God will do and what he gave him total, complete joy over to him. Do we have that in our walk with God, in our journey? Are we completely satisfied? Are we saying glory to God 
I worship you, Lord. Or do we say, vanity of all vanities, all is vanity. There is frustration, tired of life and disappointments. Their ambition of, for life is no longer there. All of this because we cling to life, thinking that we could do better than God. And we begin to rule over our own life. Remember the Apostle Paul, in his last days in Second Timothy, he gives this command. He says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus of Taurus, also the books and above all the parchments. At this point in Paul's life, I believe that he sensed that this was the end of his life. But he doesn't say, woe is me. What a way to end off life. Rather, he tells Timothy of their mutual friends and their occupations. And he wanted his books and parchments so that he could continue to do what Jesus wants him to do till he goes home. Billy Graham said this about his wife when she passed away. He wrote, as people grow older, the less surprised we are by their deaths, which often come only after an extended period of declining health. There even may be time for family members to gather and be with the dying person in the final hours. That is the way it was with Ruth. Her body is beginning to shut down, her doctor told me frankly. Her death may still be some days away, but the process has begun and you need to be prepared. Two weeks later, we gathered around her bedside. As her breathing grew more shallow, I was seated by Ruth's bedside holding her hand, and our daughter Anne was standing beside me. Suddenly, Anne said, She is in heaven. Hebrews 13 says, Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured, for here we have no lasting city. We seek the city that is to come. Where are you today in your journey? Do you want to finish well? Have you given your life to Christ? Do you know what that means to be satisfied in Jesus? I pray that today you will make that commitment and I pray that you will come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior before you leave this place. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in Psalm 39 says that for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Our time here on earth is so limited, Lord. We're like the grass of the field. We think we could live for a long time, but we really don't know what tomorrow will be like. And Lord Jesus, as you commanded King Hezekiah, get your house in order. Maybe, Lord God, you are saying that to us right now. Father, help us to prepare our hearts. For that day will come when we will face the judgment. Lord Jesus, I pray that in our journey, we'll be Christ-centered. That we will honor Christ. And that we will lift up your holy name. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Amen.